It was, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to go there. Heaven is a wonderful place. You know that one? It's not in the hymnal, surprisingly. Um, but uh, other cities, other cities. What else do we got in the Bible? Nineveh. Okay, Nineveh is a big, important city. What, uh, what kingdom does Nineveh go with? Do you know your ancient civilizations? Not Babylon. Close. Assyria. So Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrians. What's the capital of Babylon? Babylon. Okay, um, so the city of Babylon. Hey, there's a, a slide with all these famous cities. Um, how many of you know the city, the first one up there, the city of Enoch? You know the guy named Enoch. You probably know the second Enoch. There are two Enochs in the Bible. The first one is the son of Cain. And this is the very first city in the Bible, is the city that Cain builds. And he names it Enoch because his son he names his son Enoch. Uh, the more famous Enoch, what happened to him? He was walking with the Lord, and he was no more, for the Lord took him, right? He's one of those Old Testament guys who never died. Enoch and Elijah, they ascended, um, much like Jesus. But uh, Enoch is the very first city in the Bible. What's the last city in the Bible? The New Jerusalem, right? And this is why um, I want to spend some time on this. It's not just a minor theme, you might say. It's a major part of the Bible story. If you, um, you know, I, I know none of you would have done this, but um, I can remember that my days as a student um, running out of time. And so you get cliff notes, right? Does anybody remember getting cliff notes? Um, you just get the high points, right? If you had a Cliff Notes version of the Bible, like the super Cliff Notes version, it would go like this. There was a garden that became a city. The end, right? Um, isn't that how the, that's kind of the plot of Scripture. If you read the first couple of chapters, and let's say you didn't have time to get to chapter 3, you would read about God creating heaven and earth, and in the middle of Eden, no, not the middle, in the east of Eden, he, he plants this garden. And then if you skipped to the end, at the very end of um, Scripture, you have the book of Revelation. And at the end of Revelation, after all the battles and all the wars and all the bulls being poured out and all the crazy stuff happening, there's a city. So um, in the end, we will all be city dwellers. Right? We will all live in that new Jerusalem. But along the way, there's quite a few other cities that pop up in the Bible. And what we want to do this morning, at least in the beginning time, maybe this won't take the whole time, but we want to look at the characteristics of these cities. And we're calling this a tale of two cities. Forget who the author is. Dickens, thank you. So this is the tale of two cities. And if you look in Genesis 4, you'll find the first city. So Genesis 4... Starting at verse 17, 417. Should probably put the uh, Bible, uh, Bible book that we're looking at here in case you forget. Genesis 4:17. Who will read for us? All we need is one verse, verse 17. Go for it, Mike. Okay, simple enough, right? Now, if we are reading the Cliff Notes version, we miss out on what precedes this. So let's fill it in. So we're not, we don't want to be Cliff Notes readers of the Bible. We want the whole thing. We want to be steeped in the way Scripture talks, the way it feels, even the structures that it uses. So what comes, what's the story right before the building of the first city? Cain kills his brother Abel. Right? So you have the first two brothers in the Bible, and immediately we've got this sibling rivalry. And God comes to Cain, and he tells him, you've got to get out. Right? He kicks him out of Eden. So um, if we were to draw a map of Genesis 2, you'd have, this is a really technical map. Okay? You have the garden, 
of Eden, you have the land of Eden, and you have the world. When Adam and Eve fell, where did they get kicked out of? You get exiled from the garden, and you can't get back into the garden. When Cain falls, Cain gets kicked out of the land of Eden. He can't get back into the land. And God tells him, you're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer. And this is so typical. What do, what's Cain's response to God? This is not fair. You're being too hard on me. All I did was kill my brother, right? Um, this is, it's not fair. It's never fair, is it? When you get in trouble, you always, that's how we always respond. It's not fair. It's unfair. But God says, nope, you're a wanderer. Okay, and so Cain says, like heck, I'm a wanderer. You kick me out of the land of Eden, I'll show you. And so he builds a city. So we talked about this a little bit last week. One of the attractions of the city is that it saves you from wandering. Instead of being exposed, you can just think very, just in physical terms, instead of being exposed to enemies, instead of being exposed to the, um, the elements, you, can, you have something solid. You have something with walls. Um, and that's why, you know, kind of jokingly, I said, is Nazareth a city or is it a municipality or whatever? One of the distinguishing marks of the Bible calling a place a city is that it has walls. Okay, so you got to have walls to have a city because cities are secure. They're safe. And so um, if you know that backstory, think about what this city is based on what it's built out of. How would you describe this city that Cain is building, Enoch? It's a spiteful city, right? We're, I'm going to build this just to prove to God that he's not in charge. I'm in charge. He says, I'm going to be a fugitive and wanderer. No way. I'm Cain, after all. I killed my brother Abel. If anybody else messes with me, I'll do the same to them. Okay, you get a little bit of the, scent, the spirit of the city, just in terms of how it's being built. What else? Well, one of the things that comes to my mind about this particular city is one of the things that you need for a city is people. Yeah, so it starts small, right? Um, you don't get New York City overnight, and you don't get Sodom overnight. Okay, Sodom didn't just materialize out of thin air. Um, and the new Jerusalem, for that matter, doesn't just materialize out of thin air. God is consistent. He works through history. And Cain here, we're going to read, um, you know, it probably wasn't a real bustling, active place in that first generation. But you give it time, things get passed on, fathers to sons to sons to sons. And this, you know, maybe in the beginning it wasn't that harsh of a place, but we're going to see by the seventh generation, you know, if you figure a generation is 30 to 40 years, what does that make? 200, roughly. If you give this city of Enoch 200 years, we're going to find out it's grown up. It's become quite the place. And we're going to see both some really impressive stuff about this city, and we're also going to see some really uh, unimpressive stuff about the city. <laughs> yeah, I'm, call, I'm just thinking of how frequently, it's probably even longer than 200 years. Her question was how, you know, does that uh, 30 to 40 years, does that really mark a generation in Genesis? Um, it seems like, I don't think it's in chapter 4. In chapter 5, you get a listing of how old they were when they had their sons. Um, and you get numbers like 105 100, you get some really old dads. Um, but remember, the world was young then. Uh, and maybe sin, there's a, there's a number of ways we could understand this. One of them is just sin has, the effects of sin have not sprung, they haven't matured all that much. And that even includes the physical effects of a sinful world. So people lived longer, okay? Um, so yeah, maybe it was, maybe we're going to find out this is even more than 200 years later. Okay. What else about Cain precedes this building of Enoch that might have had a factor in him building the city? He got married, so he wants to provide a place for his wife, maybe. What did, what's the, um, I mean, you kill your brother. I've had some fights with my brothers. Um, 
my little brother more than my older brother. You might, have you noticed I almost never tell stories about my older brother? He and I got, I never had any problems with him, you know. I was closer to my little brother, so we fought. Um, but I would imagine, never done this before, but I would imagine if I killed my brother, um, that's the kind of thing that I wouldn't get over. Don't you think? It's the kind of thing that would kind of, we might say, haunt you. Don't know. Yeah, don't know. It's likely that they were married. I mean, the, the sense I get is that they were grown men. You know, they weren't little boys doing this. They were bringing their sacrifices to the Lord. They weren't, Adam wasn't telling them what to do. Um, so it's, it's probable in my mind that they're married already, but I don't, I don't know. Um, but here's my point with this business of um, the murder of Abel in the background of Enoch. Um, when I do... S- well, I won't make this about me. I think when, when humans, this is a human thing, when we do something really drastically bad, that can serve as kind of powerful motivation, right? So I'll use Notre Dame football as my example here. Last week they blew the game, didn't they, Jim? They blew it. They should have won, and they blew it. And last night, they learned from their mistake, right? And afterwards, all of the questions were, did last week's loss motivate you? What did you learn from last week that you were able to, and they all said, oh yeah, we learned our lesson until they lose next week. And then they'll, they'll have forgotten their lesson. But here's the point, with Cain, it's, I don't think that we're imagining that Cain's efforts, at least in his own mind, are instead of being haunted by the death of my brother Abel, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a new legacy, right? Cities are um, their legacy marks. People who establish cities, who are founders of places, um, they, they're not, it's not a mistake. They're usually highly motivated individuals, right? And the motivation for Cain to build this city, I think, is in part to cover up the blood of Abel, or somehow it's, it's coming out of this death of Abel. The city of Enoch is built for his son, Enoch, but it's built with Abel, Abel's blood in the background, right? I'm, I'm going to try to silence the blood of my brother Abel. I'm going to pour myself into this new city. So it's a city of spite. It's a city built on the blood of his brother. Um, it's a city of Um, you know, I'm not going to be a fugitive. I'm going to be my own man. The Lord's not in charge of me. I'm in charge. And here's what, here's how it plays out over time. So if you have a city like that, here's the kind of things you can expect to grow up out of the city. If we keep, well, Mike, why don't you keep reading? You're good with all these Hebrew names, aren't you? You, you keep going for us. Read 18 through 24. See, he's really good at Hebrew, isn't he? This is great. Okay, now, in a minute, we'll contrast this, the line of Cain, with the line of Seth. 
But what do you notice here about the city of Enoch? We're, we're not told that anybody else goes and lives anywhere else. It's possible, I'm sure, that some of the, the descendants of Cain spread out. And I'm sure that some of, you know, there, there had to be intermarriage here within the family. So people are coming in from outside. Maybe son, some of Seth's sons find their way into Cain's city. They, they flee from their father like the prodigal son. They end up taking wives in the city of, uh, of Cain. But we're not told there's any other cities, is the point. So I think we should assume here this continues to be the same place. These guys are like, it's like you have a list of kings. These are the kings of Enoch, right? And some of them get no description. So their reign as king must not have been all that impressive. Now, does anyone's Bible, does it have little footnotes telling you the names, what the meaning of the names are? Mahuyael, all these things that Mike did a great job pronouncing. Methushael, Erod. Does anybody have notes on the meaning of those names? I didn't write these things down, but their names mean things like he who kills the peace of God. Okay, so this is not the kind of name that, you know, you're sitting around with your wife and you're reading a baby book. How about Methushael? How about Mahuyael? How about Erod? How about Lamech? No, don't do that. <laughs> Pick David and Michael and, you know, those kinds of names, saints' names. Uh, so even though there's no description of them, if we had the meaning of the names, we would probably be able to understand something of the character of the city, which makes sense. Because if you have a city built on spite, if you have a city built on blood, that's the kind, the, the, the civilization is going to take on the form of that, that spirit. And who do you really see that with? This guy named Lamech. How would you classify, what would you, you want to vote, anybody want to vote for Lamech? How would he possibly win in an, an election? I think he could do it. But you'd, you'd, have to, you'd have to sell yourself as the forceful one, right? He's boasting here. So he's not, it's not like he's embarrassed about what he's done. He's boasting. Cain, his great, 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 you know, whatever number, I think this is, he's number seven in the line. Cain was he remorseful? Not really, right? This is unfair. You're making me a fugitive and a wanderer when all I did was kill my brother? But at least he wasn't boasting about it, right? Lamech runs around and he tells everybody, you thought Cain was impressive? Look at me. I've got two wives. That's how great I am. And if anybody messes with me, they're going to get it. 77 times. Now, if you recall, what did God say to Cain when he banished him from the land? I'm going to put a mark on you so that if anybody strikes you, they're going to deal with me. God is the one who is the avenger. And he even, he puts that mark of protection on Cain. But what does Lamech think? No, no, no. I'm the avenger. I'll avenge myself. Okay? So he would, he would be an attractive political figure because he would sell himself as a man of power and force. And you don't want anybody to mess with your city, do you? So if you had a king like Lamech, nobody's going to mess with your city. Or at least, you know, <laughs> if they listen to his boasting. Now, maybe he can't back it up. Maybe he doesn't have um, the guns and the ammunition. But he's got the spirit of anybody messes with me and my city, we're going we're gonna to go nuclear on them. Yes, we'll go here and then there. All right, so my knowledge of ancient history was very well over half of the Hasidic. But aren't all of the ancient cities just brutal? I mean, they're all. Yep, this is, when we, if you remember Babel, the city of Babel, who was the king of Babel? Do you remember this name? Nimrod. Nimrod was a mighty hunter, it says, which makes you think like, oh, he was really good at killing deer. Um, and he was just a really good hunter. And, you know, we live in western Kentucky, and we like to hunt, right? 
Wouldn't you be proud to have a friend like Nimrod who had like lots of antlers around the room? Um, but when it says he was a mighty hunter, um, it could be that he just hunted down animals, but it's more likely that he's also going around and hunting down his enemies as well. So Catherine's right. This is not unique to the city of Enoch because Enoch is the first city. And what happens in Enoch is going to spread. And so when we get to Babel, we find a lot of the same kind of stuff. Okay, we find a lot of the same brutality. Yeah, oh yeah. Yep, this is the, the tale of two cities. The, we might put it this way. The cities of men, the city of man, is a place where this kind of stuff, the Enoch stuff, the Babel stuff, um, it's a place where this kind of stuff reigns. Okay? And this is why uh, a lot of us don't want to live in the city, right? Um, some of you bought a house because you said, I don't want to have any neighbors, didn't you? Right? You looked around and you said, I don't want to live close to people. I, want to, I don't want to see anybody else um, because people are nasty. <laughs> and so if I can live out in the country, if I can live on my own, then I can avoid all the problems that come with city life. Okay? Um, now, what you have to get, you have to realize that um, there's something true about that. Sin is nasty. Sin is, sin is a powerful force. The, when we looked at the flesh, these cities of flesh are powerful, they're destructive, they're violent, right? But there's also, they do impressive things. And so just as much as we read and we think, man, I wouldn't want to live under King Lamech, well, why would people put up with violence? Why would anybody want to live in the city of Enoch? <laughs> they, yes, right? They have garbage service, and in the country, you have to burn all your trash, right? And it stinks, okay? Um, but what in the text, Paul's right, in a way. I don't know if he realizes it, but he's right. What's the advantage of living in the city of Enoch? There's three things mentioned. You get the first experts. Cities produce experts, so you get expert class. You get the, you're on the cunning edge. You're on the avant-garde, not just of fashion, but you get the best and the brightest in the city. And when you get the best and the brightest together, even if they're sinful, they can produce some really impressive stuff. Okay, so you get these three guys, Jabal and Jubal. So even back in the beginning, this is why when you have twins, people, they, they just like to name their twins Almost the exact same name, Jabal and Jubal. Um, I read a story once about a, a, this was a study that was being done, and this mom had twins, and she named her twins Lamangelo and Orangelo, spelled lemon jello and orange jello. Um, true, serious, honest to goodness. And the, the study was, does your name indicate anything about you? Like, does it determine your success in life? And uh, what the study found was, no, but it indicates your, your parents. <laughs> um, so if you name your kids Lamangelo and Arangelo, everyone's going to know this poor kid. You know, his parents, <laughs> he didn't come from the best uh, and the brightest. Anyways, Jubal and Jabal, They've got animal, the experts in animal husbandry. So even in the city, right, you, you become an expert in um, dealing with your animals. And the city is a place for music. Why? Why do cities, why are they on the cutting edge of technological progress? Why does that happen? You've got time, right? A, a big part of living in the city is one of the advantages is you don't have to, like I was saying um, a minute ago, you don't have to defend yourself at night. You've got a wall for that. And there's guys whose job it is to patrol the streets. So you don't have to. You can, you can rest in your home. You can light your fire. You can sit down with your wife um, when you're not fighting with your neighbor. And you can say, what do you want to talk about tonight, dear? I've been working on this, this theory. I found this, um, 
you know, I found this piece of wood, and when you blow across the top of it, it makes this interesting sound. Do you want to hear it? And what would happen if we put some strings across there and we plucked the strings? Hey, what if, what if we all had one of these instruments and we all kind of played them at the same time? Wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be cool? And lo and behold, pretty soon you've got an orchestra. And once you have an orchestra, then you can make money. Then people will come into your city to patronize the arts. Then you become a place of fame and honor and privilege and status. And pretty soon everybody thinks of Enoch as this great musical place. Okay? Um, because you have time and you have people pressed together. When you put a bunch of people together, you're going to get something, right? <laughs> Something's going to come out of that. And in a city, you can get more impressive stuff than you can get when you're on your own, okay? Oh, I'm sure, because, hey, somebody's got to pay for the garbage service, right? Um, and those guys that patrol the streets at night, they, they need to be paid. So, yeah, you better pay up. Um, and you do it willingly. Sure, yeah, this is just part of the, for the greater good. We, we need to do this, right? Makes sense. You also get the, um, the first metallurgy, Tubal Cain. Tubal Cain develops bronze and iron. And uh, what can you make out of bronze and iron? Weapons. Of course you'd say that, Icy. You can make weapons. You can also make forks and spoons and, and tools. Right? Tool. Now, weapons are a tool, aren't they? They're a tool of warfare. And the city is a place of, um, this is what technology does, it extends your power, it advances, um, it advances you. It's an extension of yourself. Now, um, we know that once you build some tech or some tool, we shape our tools, and then what do they do to us? They shape us. So somebody invented these smartphones, and now we all are all shaped like this, right? <laughs> Our tools, we shape them, they shape us. And that especially happens in the city, in the city, in the city, right? So Enoch becomes this place of animals and music and metal, all right? And it's a place of violence. We're going to see that in, in almost all of these cities, when sin is left to grow, you better believe it grows. Um, it matures. And that process of maturation is not a pleasant one. It becomes more and more f forceful. So Cain will eventually turn into Lamech. Yes? Right. So if, if we're looking on our map, I don't know. Don't know. And so now let's, let's look at the alternative. So what's the alternative? If you don't want to live in Enoch, because, you know, you just don't like neighbors or whatever, um, what's, your, what's your alternative? Well, if you don't want to live in Cain's city, you can go and live with those Christians in Seth, with Seth. And if you look in chapter 5, you get a description of Seth and his line, just like you had a description of Cain and his line. And you can go ahead, you can scan through there real quick. We're not going to, this would be, if you're looking for Genesis names, do Genesis 5, not Genesis 4, okay? These are good names in chapter 5. But you notice what's missing in that line, there ain't no cities. These are just poor old country folk, right? No cities. And also, is anyone the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe? Those who forge instruments of bronze and iron? They, they don't have anything to attract you into the city, the whatever dwelling places of Seth. What do they do? What do Seth's descendants do instead of building you know, experts in animals and music and metal. Mike read it. Look at, at the end of chapter 4. 
Oh, he didn't read this one. Look at what it says in verse 26. Go ahead and finish that chapter for us, Mike. So what do, they, what do they do out in the dwellings of Seth? They worship God. They waste their time. What a waste of time, right? What good is worship? What good is calling on the name of the Lord? That's not, you're not going to advance a civilization that way, are you? You're not making experts. Maybe you become good at, you know, memorizing the Psalms, but uh, that, I've never filled out a resume where they said, how many Psalms do you know? Um, could, you, could you please include in your resume your church attendance for the past three years? Now, people have used me as a, um, as a reference, uh, <laughs> and I don't know if, if that's impressive to employers or not. Um, usually it's younger folks who are, you know, we don't have anybody else, but pastor, would you please be a reference for me? <laughs> sure. Um, and I've never gotten a phone call. Nobody has ever called and said, could you tell me, is Rich Diefenbach, you know, would he be a good employee? I've never gotten that phone call. Um, but what, what I, the reason I'm mentioning all this is because I want you to see something. The cities of man, they're the ones that are going to be cutting edge. They grow out of spite, anger, um, greed. What else would motivate the city of Cain? Uh, status, glory, fame, pomp, power. Yeah, that stuff's attractive, isn't it? And if you pursue that stuff, um, you can do impressive, really impressive things. You can get rich. You can get really rich. And a lot of people spend their whole life, like, the whole goal of life is to get rich. Let's get rich. Yeah, they, they might have had some nice, it's not that they had no nice things. They, maybe their tents were really well kept and, you know, their wives were great bakers and everything. Um, they probably had some good things. But I, but I think um, one of the things that Genesis is pointing out to us is uh, all the attractive stuff that attracts people to the city, that comes at the cost of you, you pay a price. If you want that stuff, you're going to pay a price. And the price is you don't have the garden. Okay? The true city, the city of God, has to grow out of the garden. This is a great, this isn't new with me. I can't remember who I first heard this from. But if the city grows out of the garden, it's going to be a good city. If the city doesn't grow out of the garden, it's going to be wicked eventually. And of course, what we mean by it has to grow out of the garden is not that you have to have, you know, <laughs> it has to start in a green place. What does the garden symbolize? What was supposed to happen in the garden? Harmony with whom? With God, right? It's in the garden. Adam could go anywhere, right? Adam, if Adam wouldn't have sinned, he probably would have explored the whole world. He and his sons would have said, hey, you want to go sail down the Gihon? Of course, Dad, I've always wanted to go sail down the Gihon. There's gold in the hills. Let's go find that gold. Um, They would have gone into the whole world. They didn't have to stay in the garden. But the garden was the place where the trees were. The garden was the sacramental place. And if you have the, the sacramental worship of God, that relationship right, good things will grow. If you don't have that, if you have a city that doesn't start with the garden, it's going to become the city of Enoch. You're going to have some cool stuff, but it's not going to be God's stuff. Now, there's another reason why um, the cities of man become these expert places. And just think, think about the difference between the kind of people who would live in Enoch's city and the kind of people who would live with Seth. Why is it that the unbelievers, Cain's city, why is it that they make faster progress than believers? What, what is true about Christians that uh, limits us in terms of how quickly we make progress? Why do we move so slow? 
Maybe. I think that's definitely why. If, if, you ha- if, if you're not willing to cut corners, you're not going to get ahead as fast as the next guy. Right? If you think that um, being an honest businessman is important, you know, that God doesn't want you to lie and cut corners and rip people off, if you, really, if you want to function that way, you're not going to get ahead the way that somebody who's willing to cut all kinds of corners will. Right or wrong? Does that, does that bear out? What's that? Yes, okay, so we don't make progress as quickly as the unbelievers, right? The city of God grows much slower than the cities of man. But what happens in the cities of man? Eventually, all the things that got them ahead, look at what happens with Sodom. They end up being their own destruction, right? So um, you can, it's, it's the old story of the rabbit and the hare to some degree, but with a religious twist, right? The, the rabbit is Cain here, and the hare is Seth. And Seth is prevented from speeding along in progress the way that Cain and his descendants do. And, I mean, you can see this in the church. Christians, um, we just, we make very little headway, don't we? Um, We make very little progress. And how many of you would like to run for political office? We need you, you know, right? If we don't have godly rulers, who's going to make godly laws? But why don't Christians want to be politicians? Because of the price, right? The price you pay, the whole system is set up to reward those who are going to make deals and, and um, are going to feed into corruption. And so Christians say, well, we're just going to homeschool our kids. I speak against myself here, right? We're just going to go over here in a corner and we're going to, you know, we're going to do our own thing and let the city of Enoch run its course, Okay. So uh, the whole system kind of refuses, it doesn't reward Christians. The city of men does not reward Christians. Which, so what do you do, right? Um, You take the long view. If you're the hare and you know you're the hare, I'm sorry, if you're the tortoise and you know you're the tortoise, you you just, you play your game. You play to your strengths, (laughs) right? Um, now, Lorraine, you have your hand up, and I could keep going down that line, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and Jesus even tells this story. He says, the sons of this age, remember the story of the dishonest manager? That guy who Jesus commends, and we're all like, Jesus, why would you say that that guy, he was a liar, he was a cheater, he was no good, right? And Jesus' point is not that he's the model of ethics, but he is single-minded. He is devoted to his purpose. And um, Christians need that mindset, that single-minded mindset, okay? Now, uh, let's look at some of these other cities, just so that we don't stay, we could probably just... um, hit the word copy and paste here with these other cities. But turn to chapter 11 for the Tower of Babel. We've looked at this before, but it's good to remember. Here's another example of the cities of men. Genesis 11. Look what it says in uh, verses 1 through 4. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. They were united. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. So there's a, there's, that doesn't sound like technology to us, does it? Because it's not a smartphone, but this is technology. So they have, they've got the bricks, which, you know, maybe your, your mom told you the story of the three little pigs and you realize, like, oh, man, bricks are really important. But that's what's happening here. They've got bricks. Um, Come, let us build for ourselves bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So if you got bricks, somebody has to invent the glue. You need the glue. 
Um, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Okay, so does this, does this city grow out of the garden? No, it's anti-garden. Okay, it's anti-garden. Now, if you go to um, Genesis 12, look what Abraham does whenever he sets up his dwelling places. Look at chapter 12, verse, uh, look at verse 8. No, I'm sorry, verse 6. Genesis 12, verse 6. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So what did he build? He built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai. Ai? Ai? How should I say it? What do you think, Kay? Ai. Kay says Ai. So there we go. On the east. And there he built... An altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. So what does Abraham set up wherever he goes? Altars. Before the city, he focuses on the garden, we might say. Now, is there ever any progress with Abraham? Does, he ever, does, does this city ever actually grow? He, yep, he, he does. There is some maturity, right? Just like the sin matures in the city of Enoch, Abraham does mature. It's just really slow going. Okay, and so if you look in um, chapter, look at what his son does. Go to chapter 26. Look at chapter 26, verse 17. Who will read for us 17 through 22? There's, a, there's only a few name, place names here. Go for it, Jeff. So what else was Abraham doing? He was building altars under trees, and he was digging wells. And now his son Isaac is focused on digging. Keep going. So this is one of those strange things in the Bible. What's all the deal? What's the big deal about digging wells? Why is he so interested in water? And if you don't uh, think about the, the themes, I think you're going to be lost because you're going to say, for whatever reason, whoever wrote Genesis was interested in weird details. Like he always set up shop under a tree and wherever they went, they dug a well. Well, of course they dug a well. You need water, right? So you could, do the pra you could explain it practically. But theologically, the well, the water, the well-watered place is supposed to remind you of something. The Garden of Eden, right? We didn't draw it on our map, but remember, there was water that came down and watered the whole garden, and then it split out into the earth. So Abraham and Isaac... Make it a priority. Wherever we go, we need trees, we need altars, we need the well of salvation, we need water. And that's to show you that their cities, the city that they're going to build, has to be built on worship. Without that garden, you can come up with the, the greatest technological advancements, you can come up with wonderful things, but they're all going to kind of fall apart. Okay? Now, these, uh, we should mention here, does Abraham ever do anything with animals? Yeah. 
So it's not that we have to leave everything in the city of Enoch to Enoch. Does the Bible ever say anything about music? What is it, does it tell us? Avoid all music. You know it comes from the pagans, so avoid it. Never play instruments. You can mumble, but don't sing too loud. You'll get too excited, and that'll be bad. That'll be spiritually bad, because be, your emotions will carry you away. Does the Bible talk like that? What, is the, what does the Bible say about music? Make a joyful noise. We like that one because it says noise, right? Make a noise to the Lord. Bless the Lord. And if you look at Psalm, the Psalms, there's cymbals and lyres and all this stuff, okay? Um, what about metal? Is bronze off limits and iron because it was invented by Tubal-Cain? Should we avoid all that? No, the tool, the tool is not inherently sinful. The tool is not inherently sinful, now, the tool, you need to be aware of how these tools will shape you, right? If you're not aware of that, uh, you do end up becoming just like the city of Enoch. But they prepare, they advance all this stuff, and in a sense, we inherit it, right? The, the city of Enoch, they race ahead. The rabbit goes ahead of the tortoise, but the tortoise is going to be the one that inherits it all. Let me show you, uh, go to Je uh, Revelation 22. And now I, I didn't write this down. This always, I always do this. Where is it where it says that the glory of the kings will be brought into the city? Where is that? There it is. Je uh, Revelation 21, I'm sorry. Revelation 21, verse 26 and 27. Revelation 21, 26 and 27. This is the New Jerusalem. And we're going to find something very interesting being brought in here. Who wants to read 26 and 27 for us? Go for it, Craig. What comes into the New Jerusalem? The glory and the honor of the nations belongs in the end to who? To us. It becomes ours. Keep reading. Okay, so don't worry if, you don't, if we don't make a lot of advance. Don't get, you know, we, of course, don't want to see our world um, go down the tubes. We don't like to see the wicked ruling over the righteous. It's not good when that happens. Um, but don't worry that the church moves slowly. This, that long-term view is essential for Christians, and it's essential for the life of Abraham, Right? Um, how long did Abraham have to wait before he finally got a son? <laughs> only 25 years. He, he only had to wait 25 years, but it probably felt like 100. Probably felt like he was waiting forever. And it can feel like that. You know, why does the city of sin, why, does, why do they get all the breaks? Why do they make all the advances? And the city of God is so slow. We don't leap from victory to victory in big showy ways. Well, in the end, the glory and the honor of the nations comes into the new Jerusalem, but you've got to wait for it. There's a call for patience and faith here, okay? Um, I know we didn't talk about Sodom much. What, how, how are we doing on time? We've got two minutes. Does anybody want to ask other questions about the cities in the Bible? Go for it, Jeff. Yeah. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that these technological, if you want to use that word, cultural, cultural techniques, we can plunder those, but we have to be very careful about what sure. comes with those. So that's the kind of different structure. 
Yeah, very good. Everybody hear what he's saying? Let me just repeat it because it's, it's very important. Just look at metalwork, okay? Um, metalwork gets used in the Bible to make all kinds of idols and images, right? So there's part of the first commandment, you shall not engrave, you shall not make any image, okay? But metalwork also is what's used to make all the pots and pans in the tabernacle and the temple, so these things, these techniques, Israel had to learn them and put them to godly use. Same thing could be said about music. These, all of these, um, these things that non-Christians come up with, it's not wrong to use them. But there needs, this is where wisdom becomes important, to know what, uh, how do I use these tools? How do I use this cultural, um, these cultural creations or civilizational advances without losing my soul? To them. And uh, that is the great challenge for the church. It's the great joy of seeing how um, the city of God continues to develop out of the garden. And the garden is always central. If we're going to renew the city, the, start with the garden. Start like Abraham did. You know? Okay, last one. This is why um, new hymnals, whenever a new hymnal gets written, um, so our, our hymnal is still the new hymnal, right? Does anyone know when the new hymnal was published? No, that was the blue one. That was the old hymnal. It was 2006. But it's still, whenever you talk with Lutherans, that's still the new hymnal. It's almost 20 years old, but it's still new to us. Right? And there's something, you know, we can joke about that, but there's a wisdom to it that if you, if you are slow in moving, then you only use what's tried and true, what stands, you let time sift out the junk from the gold. So, all right, let's pray. Next week we'll go on in, uh, in Genesis 19. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, we have come not to an earthly city, but you have brought us into uh, the heavenly city, which comes down from above, which is built um, not on the blood of Abel, but on your own blood, which pleads for our forgiveness. We pray that uh, you would give us wisdom, that as we live in this world, we may advance your city. Um, we may call others to share in the light uh, that you provide for us and in the life that is given in your church. Bless us now, dear Lord, as we worship and as we go to our homes. In your name we pray. Amen.